It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Thank you, Madam President, honorable members, my fellow Europeans. Never before has this parliament debated the state of our union with war raging on European soil. And we all remember European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen took centre stage on Wednesday morning, delivering her annual State of the Union speech at the European Parliament. A whole continent has risen in solidarity. At the border crossings it's one of the big set pieces of the EU calendar each year. But did it meet the moment? I'm Suzanne Lynch, and I'm coming to you this week from Strasbourg. Later, we'll be joined by members of the European Parliament from across the political spectrum and our own panel of political reporters to get you up to speed and to assess if von der Leyen hit the mark. So I'm standing outside the entrance to the hemicycle and it is just a sea of cameras and there's a kind of an open area being formed um, ready for Ursula von der Leyen to enter. So lots of activity, lots of buzz at the moment, uh, people chatting before they go into the room and the odd MEP doing interviews with their local TV. But not everyone seemed aware of what was happening, as I found out when I caught up with visitors waiting for a tour of the Parliament. Excuse me, yeah. are you guys visiting the Parliament today? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, how are, you, are you here for the speech of the European Commission President? Oh, no, 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 I don't know no. about that. We are just <laughs> a visitors and a group of visitors and we want to just, just to look at Yeah, Just have a look. Okay, yeah. thank, you. thank you. Do you know about the speech of the, of the European Commission President, von der Leyen? No, no. Yes, that's... Do you know... But you know heading into the chamber, at least among MEPs, there was lots of expectation about what was to come. As the plenary bell rang, calling people into the chamber, I spoke to Manon Opuy co-president of the left group in the European Parliament about what she wanted to hear from von der Leyen. Well, basically that she faces the reality and the reality is millions of people that don't know how they're going to go through the winter, how how they're going to pay their energy bills, but also more broadly how they're going to pay their bills because inflation is going up all across the European Union, Uh, prices are skyrocketing and in front of that, well, actually revenues are not going up in the same, you know, in the same speed. So the main issue is what are the concrete answers that Ursula von der Leyen can provide? Uh, from the left perspective and the proposals that we put on the table is kind of twofold. One is to cap prices and the second is to get uh, large companies actually pay, contribute, whatever name, 
I know we shouldn't use excess profit tax, it's fine. We don't even want that word, but we want the content that goes with it. That making all of those companies that have made a lot of profits out of the crisis, that they actually also contribute uh, because it's difficult enough for a lot of people. So now to assess if Ursula von der Leyen's speech lived up to its billing, I'm joined by Victor Jack, our energy reporter in Brussels. Hey, Victor. Hi there. And Clotilde Gougeard, our tech reporter who's here in Strasbourg. Hi, Suzanne. So, Clotilde, you were here like me this week in Strasbourg. How do you assess the speech? I mean, there was really only about one thing, really, and that was Ukraine. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it started off with all of the commissioners dressed up with uh, Ukraine scholars and the wife of Volodymyr Zelensky, Elena Zelenska. We have Olena Zelenska with us on this important day. So that was very powerful. You could see it from the start that this was really about Ukraine and the war. Yes, I mean, we just heard just as she was speaking that von der Leyen was making this surprise trip to Kiev. And this is why today I'm going to Kiev to discuss all this with President Zelensky. And there was definitely something of the moment in history, I think, about the speech. I mean, she started off, as we heard there, by saying that this was the first State of the Union speech to take place when there was war on the European continent. But in terms of new measures to help Ukraine, I mean, there was very little really in this speech, I think. There was new funds announced for rebuilding Ukrainian schools. Damaged Ukrainian schools. We will provide what you need. This is 100 million euros because the future of Ukraine begins in the schools and with the children. There were promises to integrate Ukraine as a single market, but very little in terms of new military support or sanctions, etc. But I suppose one issue uh, that was, of course, high on the agenda and linked to that was energy. Victor, uh, you're our energy guru. Um, Talk us through what was in this speech when it comes to energy. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess we can kind of sort out um, what she said into two broad categories. The first is kind of the shorter term measures. So here we had three core moves. The first is a cap on the revenues of energy companies apart from gas that sell electricity on the wholesale market, which at the moment are making big profits. The second is a so-called solidarity contribution from EU-based fossil fuel companies, which the Commission insists, you know, is not a tax, but, you know, de facto it is a tax in that it's a levy on the windfall profits from these companies. The idea then is that this should free up around 140 billion euros um, to distribute to vulnerable consumers. And then the third measure um, is the Commission wants countries to cut their electricity demand by about 5% at peak times each month, which they say would reduce gas use for power by around 4% over the winter. So there are the short-term measures. What about the long-term measures, Victor? Um, So von der Leyen mentioned that she'd support a deep and comprehensive reform of the power market. So we have to decouple the dominant influence of gas on the price of electricity. And this is why we will do a deep and comprehensive reform of the electricity market. And she'd also support the creation of a new European benchmark for gas. gas. But the benchmark used in the gas market, the so-called TTF, has not adapted. So this is why the Commission will work on establishing a more representative benchmark for the electricity trading that really reflects this change in the market we have seen. 
currently the Dutch one is uh, the benchmark, but she'd you know prefer a European one. The problem is that you know analysts and experts say that these measures, um, these latter two, could take between sort of six months to up to a year to implement. Right, so quite long term there, but significant. I mean, we're talking here like we did last week in the podcast about huge changes. Is this a big intervention by the EU when it comes to energy? Well, the intervention itself is definitely big um, in the short term. Um, In terms of the speech itself, Suzanne, I wouldn't say that there were any big surprises. You know, the short term measures we'd seen coming for a while now, even though, you know, there'd been some wrangling still by countries over the exact numbers and details. Von der Leyen did use her strongest language yet for um, redesigning the power market. You know, as late as May, the commission was broadly saying, you know, the market should stay as it as it is roughly and then from june onwards there was a kind of slow cooking about turn um, on this by von der leyen and the commission who acknowledged that you know now a much deeper redesign of the market is needed in the medium term the current electricity market designed that is based on the principle of merit order is not fit for purpose anymore it's not just for consumers anymore Yeah, she mentioned about decoupling, this whole issue that we spoke about last week about the connection between electricity prices and gas prices. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So um, at the moment, kind of um, very expensive gas sets the price for um, all wholesale power, essentially, in the EU. And so the idea here is that, you know, you'd essentially somehow decouple that price of gas and that might bring down the price of power as well. But, you know, it's still very early days and it's difficult to see what alternatives could be brought forward, which um, the Commission is now saying could happen early in the new year. Was there anything not included? Yeah, so there was one glaring omission in the speech, and that's a price cap on Russian gas, um, which von der Leyen actually um, recently announced as part of her five immediate um, measures uh, to deal with the energy crisis. Um, She alluded to the fact that she was setting up a task force with Norway to look at, you know, long term contracts and prices. But she didn't mention that price cap on Russian gas. And that's because it's proved a very divisive issue among um, countries with some countries like Slovakia and Hungary that are still dependent on Russian gas, struggling to kind of be um, in favour of such a proposal. So it looks like that big meeting of energy ministers on September 30th could be uh, the next big moment. So no doubt we'll come back to that issue. Clotilde, was there anything that wasn't in the speech? I mean, anything that surprised you, you were expecting that just wasn't there? I mean, tech was not in the speech. In a way, it was expected just because uh, with the cost of living crisis, the energy crisis, it's not like tech was a priority for Mm. Ursula von der Leyen. But it still, it has been a priority for her mandate. So it was surprising not to hear her refer to some of her major successes in the last year as much as she could have. She also has two new upcoming bills this week, the Media Freedom Act, which will have a major impact on media around the European Union. And then the Cyber Resilience Act, which is a law for the cybersecurity of internet connected devices. So overall, it was just a little bit surprising for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one other thing that that struck me was, uh, for example, there was nothing really on EU defence, even though, as she said herself, we have war on the European continent with very little on that very little on the migration pact. And Victor, I mean, one other issue that wasn't really front and centre was climate change, you know, that aspect of energy. You know, what happened fit for 55? Were you expecting to hear more about that in the speech? 
Yeah, I mean, you're right, Suzanne. Surprisingly, there was very little there that was, you know, explicit. I mean, we had a look and the word climate appeared about five times, environment twice. You know, that's compared to 17 mentions of climate change um, last year. And, you know, apart from the announcement to buy a few more aircrafts and helicopters to boost the EU's firefighting, there wasn't much there. You know, I think it was there in the subtext. And there was an acknowledgement that climate friendly solutions such as, you know, increasing renewables could be a good solution to stop dependency on countries such as Russia for, for natural gas and other fossil fuels. But, you know, it's not totally clear that the EU is moving in that direction fast enough. In reality, we've kind of swapped Russian gas for other people's gas for the time being. And, you know, there was no kind of new announcements or really any political impetus from um, von der Leyen on the climate agenda in the speech. Absolutely. I think a lot of this speech was really about big visionary ideas. You know, the idea of the European democratic ideal, the uh, suggestion by von der Leyen that Putin's attack on Ukraine was also an attack on democracy. And this is not only a war unleashed by Russia against Ukraine. This is also a war on our energy. It's a war on our economy. It's a war on our values. It is a war on our future. It is about autocracy against democracy. And I stand here with a conviction. Um, there was also a bit about rule of law, probably not enough for MEPs. We might get a bit more of a taste of that later. But uh, thank you to Victor and Clotilde uh, for that. Thanks very much, Suzanne. Thanks, Suzanne. Our members of the European Parliament are standing by and we'll hear their analysis of this year's State of the Union. That's coming up next. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Among those sitting in the European Parliament chamber listening to von der Leyen's speech were hundreds of MEPs, members of the European Parliament, eager to hear what the Commission President had to say about the EU's priorities for the year ahead. Joining us in conversation just hours after the speech were Anna Michelle Asimakopoulou. Hi, my name is Anna Michelle Asimakopoulou. I'm from the from Greece and I'm with the EPP group. The EPP is the largest group in the European Parliament, which is generally centre-right in its political views. Kathleen Che. So my name is Kathleen Che. I am from Hungary and I am the vice chair of the Renew group. Renew Europe is a liberal pro-European political party. I'm Nils Fuglsang. I am a Danish member of the European Parliament and I am from the S&D group. 
SND stands for the Socialist and Democrats group in the European Parliament. So together, these three groups represent about 60% of the Parliament's members. We're sitting here this afternoon and the clock is ticking. It's just past half four on Wednesday evening and a few hours ago, Ursula von der Leyen finished her annual address to the Parliament. Let's get some reaction, your first thoughts. Caitlin, um, what's your views? What stood out to you from the State of the Union address? Uh, Were you impressed? Well, it's a mixed bag, honestly. So... I am very happy to uh, hear so many strong words on energy security and uh, sovereignty and democracy and rule of law. But on the other hand, I just had this feeling that if this speech have, uh, had come like 10 years ago, we would have been in a much better situation. So we all knew that we have to focus on moving away uh, from fossil fuels, moving away from Russia. We need to strengthen our democracies. We need to be a stronger player on the world stage. And I'm sorry that it uh, had to take a war to break out in our neighborhood uh, for us to realize that in order to be a player on the world stage, we just have to be stronger and more confident. Yeah, so you're saying really maybe a little too late. I mean, you would have preferred to hear this speech um, a little earlier. Anna Michelle, you're a member of the EPP group, so I suppose same political family as Ursula von der Leyen. Um, What's your response to the speech? Well, look, hopefully we won't look at this speech through the lens of our political uh, parties and families. I think uh, it's a moment in time where we might as well come together for everybody's interest. So I there was a lot of anticipation. Um, that's what I could feel, like, sense in the room, uh, anticipation, I think, because we all know that, you know, the European Union, as as my colleague said, is is not famous for its speed in making decisions, but it is famous for, you know, keeping the peace. And that's something that we've lost. And also, I think that this energy crisis, you know, on top of the financial crisis and the health crisis, I think that it's a moment in time where our citizens really expect things to happen. And looking at the winter ahead, there's just no more patience and no more tolerance. Big words are nice. And I was very pleased with a lot of what's in the State of the Union. But I think everybody's now expecting concrete action. Yeah, because as Caitlin mentioned there, I mean, there was a lot of big picture stuff from, from von der Leyen in the speech, I think. And that was the political moment we're in. You know, as she said, I think her first line was, the speech is taking place at a time when wars in the European continent. I paraphrase, but that was the gist of it. So in a sense, there was this big historical moment there. And she talked a lot about democracy. But on specifics, I suppose, and as you say there, Anna Michelle, a lot of European citizens are looking for answers. It was maybe less strong. Um, Neil, coming to you, I mean, one of the big themes of this state of the union and indeed of policy in the last few weeks in Brussels has been energy. Could you maybe talk through with us and what stood out to you, first of all, about what von der Leyen said and announced and whether you think that's enough? Yeah, I I think it was a good speech, I have to say. Um, I think von der Leyen took a shot at the energy policies that we've had for for decades in the European Union. And she's basically said that they had not been sufficient, which is obviously correct. I think we have had an awfully bad energy policy, becoming more and more dependent on, on Russia. And I think she recognized that. And then she said, you know, that the only way out of this is really through two things, which is renewable energy and energy efficiency. I myself am leading the negotiations on the energy efficiency directive. And I think the focus she puts on on that is good. And and these are the long-term answers. I mean, we're doing, and she touched upon this also, we're doing some 
things right now as some acute uh, solutions that are on the table concerning taxing over normal profits or super profits concerning putting a price cap on gas. And these things should be done, I think, but they're not solutions to the problem. I mean, they're, they're panic responses in some sense. Mm. The only structural solution is that we get to some other sources of energy, which is renewable energy and energy efficiency. And I thought she mentioned that and, and came through with that in a pretty clear way. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned there, one of the big uh, announcements really was this windfall tax on energy companies. Mm. I mean, I think we can all agree. Do you think that's, I mean, it's something that all uh, European consumers, countries want. I mean, do you think the Commission should be applauded for that. What's your response to it, Caitlin? Well, absolutely. I think these uh, policies really point in the right direction and our group can fully support this. I just hope that the benefits will be able to realize by the consumers uh, by the time the first bills arrive. And this is where I have some questions because in my country, Hungary, for instance, and I know that uh, it's the same in so many other places, a lot of families have no idea how to pay their bills if uh, they start to come in. So I really hope that we will be efficient and strong and we will be able to get the European response to the ground as efficiently as we managed to do with the vaccines, for instance. Yeah, I mean, this is another example of the European Commission trying to take control of the situation when it's faced with a crisis. On Ukraine, Anna Michelle, I mean, do you think the Commission president gave a, a, you know, a strong enough Signal to Ukraine, or do you think the EU can do more now to help Kiev at this point in the war? Well, I think she was pretty clear that um, sanctions are here to stay until this is over. I think that was one big signal. And uh, energy-wise, we just have to be solid and we have to be unified. Part of this blackmail is working because it's breaking us and tearing us apart. And um, we've actually done some of this stuff in Greece. You know, we're taxing 90% of these excess profits and redistributing them to not just the weakest households, but actually the middle class, you know, because th- this is hitting everybody. And it's not just consumers, it's industry too. Let's yeah. not forget about that. I mean, if Greece can do it, we're, you know, we're just a little member state. I mean, if we can do it, then imagine if all of Europe decides to agree on doing it, what that'll do to Putin. You know? Yeah. I mean, Niels, you're from Denmark. As Anna Michelle suggested there, this is one of the complexities of this situation. You've got a very fragmented European energy market. You have 27 different countries with very different energy needs and different energy histories and energy structures. Do you think what's been announced today will be welcome in, in Denmark, your own home country? Yes, I think so. Actually, I know that our prime minister just had a press conference where she proposes some of the same things just today. And and I think the debate has, has moved very fast for good reasons. You know, normally we in Denmark would not be fans of interfering with the electricity market or the energy market. I think that it works uh, well, the principle that you can earn some profits if you produce energy, if you produce electricity at a lower cost than others, then you can earn some profits. That's a sound principle under normal circumstances. I mean, because it, it basically means that those who produce renewables, they earn profits because they can produce at a lower cost than those who produce gas or, or coal, which is good because then we get more investments in renewable energy. But under these circumstances, 
uh, the Danish government moved, and I think a lot of governments have moved uh, because yeah. people are basically people are suffering, and and we have to uh, look at those who earn the big profits. They have to contribute, so we have to redistribute a bit, uh, and I think that's the right thing to do. And that's a very good point. As we know, these arguments have been happening for some time in the European Union, and a number of shall we say liberally minded countries in terms of economics didn't want to mess with the European electricity market. They said, you know, it's been working well, let's not tamper. But how times have changed. Now I think there's a sense across the block that something has had to change and the Commission has to intervene. You mentioned your Prime Minister there, the Danish Prime Minister. Caitlin, you haven't always been a fan of your own Prime Minister, it's fair fair to say, (laughs) Viktor Orban in Hungary. What there was some there was a lot of talk in this speech as well about democracy. This is the time to invest in the power of our democracies. About Europe taking its place in the world in terms of democratic norms and in terms of making relationships engaging with like minded countries. We see the world with the same eyes. We share the same values. And we should mobilize our collective power to shape global goods. We should strive to expand the core of these democracies. The most immediate way to do this is to deepen our ties and strengthen democracies on our continent. What about the issue of rule of law? This has been an issue that all of you guys in this room and everyone here in the European Parliament has really wanted more action from the Commission on. And that's making sure that it confronts countries like Poland and Hungary about its commitment to rule of law. Are you happy with what was contained in the speech on that topic today? I am not happy that uh, this is only words in a speech still after 12 years. It is my commission's duty and the most noble role to protect the rule of law. So let me assure you, we will keep insisting on judicial independence. And we will make sure that we protect our budget through the conditionality mechanism. Although I have to say that there was some movement on this. However, I think now the EU is really now at a crossroads. We are uh, negotiating uh, with the Hungarian government about uh, how to make reforms uh, which would... uh, deal with the corruption issue in the country, which would deal with the rule of law issues uh, in the country. And if the commission gives up uh, this leverage too easily, then I am very much afraid that these problems wouldn't go away. And just coming back to something what uh, Nils said uh, and what you were talking about, precisely we are experiencing a situation where uh, the Hungarian government has been actively fighting against those measures that uh, were announced. They are very, very reluctant to agree on anything that uh, would be bad for Russia. However, I believe that the EU should uh, also step up against those governments who might uh, act as allies of third countries, which are not our friends uh, in such precarious situation. We talked so much, uh, and also in the speech it was mentioned so often, that uh, external influence uh, in our political systems is so prevalent. We should not lose sight of the way foreign autocrats are targeting our own countries. And now we have a government where Russian propaganda is blowing up the state uh, television. I think we have to use our leverage uh, in order to make sure to get money to the right places and not to the uh, government who uh, uses that against the entire system. Yes, and I I think, uh, I know Kathleen has been a strong voice and is a strong voice in Hungary for democracy and, and human rights. And I think actually that was something which was missing in the von der Leyen speech today. The problems that we have 
with uh, rule of law and with uh, democracy in the European Union. She talked about how China and, and others might interfere or do interfere by creating fake news in Europe, uh, promoting fake news. And that is a problem. I think she's right to mention that. But she didn't really talk about the problems among our, our own member states. And I think it's a scandal. It has, has been a scandal for many years that governments in, in Hungary and uh, Poland are basically uh, not respecting democratic rights. And as Catalan says, in some instances, they are acting as agents for Hungary, at least. I think the, the government is acting somewhat like an agent for other countries, which makes us weak in the European Union if we cannot stand together because one country or one government, because I don't believe they represent all of uh, Hungary, the Hungarian government blocks when we want to make oil sanctions against uh, Russia, for example, uh, or wants to uh, you know, weaken the sanctions in, in different ways, then we cannot stand together as a European Union. That's a big problem for us today, and she, she should have mentioned yeah. that, I think. And I think there is that distinction, as you mentioned, let's not confuse, you know, governments with countries, and we, we, we can sometimes be too quick to do that. Anna Michelle, you're on the Trade Committee, you've been following these issues. Are you, were you impressed with what the Commission President said about trade, or I mean, realistically, look, we're five years on, for example, from the Canada-EU trade deal, it still hasn't been ratified mm. properly in Germany. You know, is this wishful thinking? Well, you know, it took a war to make us uh, decide we should uh, go forward with some of the free trade agreements. I mean, uh, I was glad to hear her mention some of them. Abkommen mit Chile, Mexiko und Neuseeland zur Ratifizierung vorlegen und wir treiben die Verhandlungen mit Partnern wie Australien und Indien voran. I didn't hear Mercosur, which was kind of disappointing for me, quite honestly, because I, I do believe that that has a lot of benefits also. But I'm glad to feel that this is an agenda that's going to move forward. And I think we've reached sort of a, a good compromise, at least in the parliament, with respect to what these modern trade agreements should look like, what they should include with respect to sustainable development clauses and other values that are... But ultimately, I was very pleased to hear this, you know, renewed and open emphasis on critical raw materials. I mean, I think it's so important yeah. for both the Green Deal and the digital transition to understand our dangerous dependencies on China, for example, for lithium, which is uh, absolutely critical to our major objective. Almost 90 percent, 90 percent of rare earth and 60 percent of lithium are processed in China. So we will identify strategic projects all along the supply chain, from extracting to refining, from processing to recycling, and we will build up strategic reserves where supply is at risk. This is why today I am announcing a European Critical Raw Materials Act. I was really pleased to hear her speak about that, that was very quite a openly and to recognize that that requires also us to work with like-minded partners around the world and free trade agreements are a way to do that. Yeah, that was quite an announcement about the raw material of quite a practical solution or proposal by the commission to try and not get into these dependencies that we've seen in the energy sector for so many years. You want to come in there? Yeah, you know, I think it's it's absolutely right. I think that was an important part of the speech. And I, well, I've been in the European Parliament since 2019. And I think in just those three years, we've seen a movement from a situation where everybody believed that 
the world is one free market and we can trade with everybody and it doesn't matter who we become dependent on because uh, you know we can make business deals with everybody to today where we realize and Ursula von der Leyen uh, I think also realizes that it does matter who you become dependent on when it comes to energy but also when it comes to critical raw materials and we are in a situation right now where we are of course are dependent on Russia when it comes to energy we feel the the, the consequences of that but also as my colleague mentions here critical materials that China has monopolized to a large degree. Also, when we look in the energy sector, our solar industry, our wind industry, the solar industry has mainly moved to China and the wind industry is also moving to China. So we need to be aware that we cannot uh, let ourselves be dependent on that. Yes, I uh, I fully agree, and I uh, just want to say uh, something that our uh, group leader Stefan Sejani mentioned, and uh, with which I fully agree with that there should be an analysis of every policy we do, every investment uh, we make, whether it would increase or decrease our dependency, whether yeah. it would increase or decrease our sovereignty. That's the way we should follow. Now, one of the other aspects to this speech, our listeners be well aware, some of them of the interinstitutional rivalry that's part and parcel of the EU. <laughs> you know, where does the balance of power lie? Is it the Commission? Is it the Council? Is it the Parliament? Now, we're here at the European Parliament's home, if you like, at this beautiful Strasbourg building. And one of the issues that von der Leyen mentioned was the uh, idea, she, she touched upon the Conference of Future of Europe and that she would hold a convention and there was quite a big applause to that. So as this Parliament has called for, I believe the moment has arrived for European Convention. I mean, anyone want to come in on the reaction to that? I think that was pretty much welcome, or is that really going to happen? Hmm. Well, I, I can say maybe I don't, I'm, I don't represent uh, the majority here in the, in the European Parliament. We, uh, from Denmark, uh, would probably be more reluctant towards having big uh, treaty change, changes, uh, letting more sovereignty go to the, or more decision power go to the European Union. In some cases, I mean, things are are complex. In some cases, when it comes to trade agreements and when it comes to that the European Union should make sure we don't become dependent on China or Russia, we need actually more power to the European Union. But I think there are many areas where the European Union goes too far and intervene in things that are not border-crossing issues. And uh, I think that's the general sentiment in Denmark. So we wouldn't want to give like to have a big treaty tree change. To reopen the treaties, have a convention, mm. set that ball rolling. You're not really in favour of that. What about my other two guests? Well, um, I uh, have a slightly different position here, but I think what we ultimately have to do is to make Europe, the EU, fit to battle the challenges of the 21st century, to be a global player. And we are not a global player now in many ways. We are slow, we are bureaucratic. So uh, I support an even more radical approach on treaty change. But of course, we have to be realistic. So a convention is really a good first step. But just one more thing. So I support this way. But uh, what about if the uh, president of the commission would start with uh, not only dealing the energy uh, pact between the commission and council, but include parliament as a first step to strengthen democracy? Anna Michelle, final word to you. Well, I think we'll all agree that you know we're happy for Parliament to have more <laughs> more power in uh, the European Union. But uh, oh, fine, you know, convention, fine, that's fine, you know. Can, but you know, I think that it's more important right this second that you know my electricity bill goes down a little bit. So uh, 
I welcome this, but uh, it's not going to be a, a speedy process. But yes, we have to look into the future as well. But uh, now we have to focus on uh, war and peace. So there we are. <laughs> Thank you very much to my guests for joining me this evening. So that's it for this week. If you're looking for more analysis of the policies proposed in the State of the Union speech, Politico's top policy reporters will be holding a briefing call on Friday morning. Usually, these calls are open to our Politico Pro subscribers, but this week it's open to anyone who wants to join. We'll include a link in our show notes with more details. So, we're signing off from Strasbourg and heading to New York City. Next week's episode will come to you from the UN General Assembly in the heart of Manhattan. Do be sure to follow the podcast wherever you're listening so you never miss an episode. And we're always keen to hear from our listeners with feedback or ideas for guests or topics. You can always get in touch directly by emailing us at podcast at politico.eu. This week's episode was produced by our executive producer for audio, Christina Gonzalez, and our editor is James Randerson. I'm Suzanne Lynch in Strasbourg. See you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.